I'm Jessica Lane. I'm a Miss World Australia national finalist, and this is my interview with The Pageant Project. Good morning, everyone. It is Adrian from The Pageant Project with you. My special guest for today is Jessica Lane, who is a Miss World Australia national finalist. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Adrian. It's lovely to be here. Why don't we start with where you're at? I think you need to describe your background. It's <laughs> much more interesting and natural than my own. So what's going on here? Oh, well, it is a personal favourite of mine, I have to admit. I'm just at my home now on the Sunshine Coast, and this is the beautiful sunny coast rainforest. We've got quite a few of these around. It's a nice area to grow up. I'm very lucky being here. It looks absolutely beautiful. Um, now, I have a lot of international viewers, and one of the things they always pick me up on is our birds, because some of our birds oh. are particularly loud. So sometimes, and I already heard a few birds before we went live. So do you have a lot of like um, loud birds near where you're at? Yeah, we have beautiful wildlife here. Every now and then we get, you know, the rare king parrot and we have some rosellas as well. And there's this amazing catbird you might be able to hear right now. Oh, is that um, what that is? I believe so. They're little yellow and green birds and they're so, they're, they bounce around and they're fun to be around. Very lucky to live here, I think. Not a bad little environment. Pretty, are the birds tame where you're at? Because the other day, we have a few rosellas and a king parrot around here. And sometimes the king parrots will land on the balcony. You can actually hand feed them. Are they mm. like that where you're at? We hand feed a couple of kookaburras. I don't think you're supposed to, though. But my mum likes to think they're her friend. And I think they think that as well. <laughs> they sure love the bacon. I've not been able to hand feed kookaburras. That's one thing. We, we do have I a bunch recommend of... Uh, it. <laughs> They've got pretty big beaks on them. How how do you go around, like, so your mum gives them bacon? Yeah. The dog doesn't like that. She gets jealous, but the, <laughs> the kookaburras love it. They'll stand on the railing and you know how they um slap their food before they eat it? Yeah. It's really quite fun to watch. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm not sure if you know, but I'm a big animal lover and an environmental enthusiast. So living here has definitely shaped my passions in that way. And I'm sure that mum being friends with the kookaburras has also had a bit of an impact. <laughs> I'm just trying to get this image in my head of a kookaburra slapping <laughs> bacon around. Um, why, why don't we start with the environmental enthusiast? Because um, obviously you're in a good environment for it. We can tell from the background. Um, when you say environmental enthusiast, I mean, a lot of people say environmental advocate, I have an environmental advocacy. I don't know if in your mind they're one and the same thing, but tell me more about the environmental enthusiast side of yourself. Well, I would, depending on the audience I'm talking to, I would absolutely agree that I'm an environmental advocate because it, at the moment in this current economic crisis with the global situation, there needs to be a voice, you know, people need to be an advocate. But a fish doesn't say that it's an enthusiast about the ocean, you know, that's its nature, mm. that's its environment. And that's how I like to think of it. I w I'm not just a voice for the nature that doesn't have its own. This is this is our nature, you know, so I think that we all should be enthusiastic about it. Um, and to describe myself as that is, you know, 
Yeah, it's always a distraction. I'm going to assume that wasn't a bird. <laughs> no, no. We're pretty far from the road, so that would have been a loud Someone's um, having a bad Friday. Someone's having a bad Friday morning, obviously. Oh, they're missing out. Hey, they're not listening to us, clearly. Are there any parts about the environment? Because there are so many different angles on in on protecting the environment. I mean, there's obviously plastic, there is carbon pollution, there's oil spills, there's preserving our natural species, particularly in Australia, where you know we're, we're blessed, as you already mentioned. Are there any particular parts that really hold your interest, or is it more the general holistic thing? Oh well. The general holistic thing is definitely right up my alley, but I am an absolute sucker for the animal side of things. Like I've tried studying animal ecology. I volunteered at Australia Zoo for a little while um, down. Have you been to Australia Zoo before? I think so. Yeah, a long, long time ago. Steve Irwin's place. I definitely recommend it if you ever get the chance. But that heightened my interest tremendously because the opportunity to actually get face to face especially with natural australian like native animals we have um an entire family of dingoes living there and yes get to go and meet them and interact with them and learn so much about them especially being as there's only a very secluded amount of Mm. native dingoes in the wild 100 percent purebred native dingoes it's very important to continue to spread that awareness about them so i'd say the Mm. animal side is what i'm most interested in because if you don't learn, you can't make any difference. There's no way of people grasping the reality of the situation with our native animals, especially in Australia. So I think that that's probably where my, my passions lie, especially ocean animals. That's probably my forte. I love, I love, I love them. I can't. But if you start getting me rambling, I'm going to keep going. But <laughs> okay. I'm, a big, I'm a big animal lover. I'd rather hang out with them most of the time. No, I I completely get you on that. Um, Let me ask you this. One thing that strikes me, because I often go down to the city here in Sydney, and there are a lot of, I assume they're tourists, and, um, you know, they see a bird, for example, and they're absolutely petrified. Like, they run away screaming, (laughs) waving their Gucci handbags around in the air. And then there are some people who are terrified of cats, like my best friend, bless him. He says he just doesn't understand cats. He doesn't know what to do with them. And, And then there are people who are afraid of dogs, but I've always had this, I, I, I love having animals around. And I think one of the things that I really love doing is building a bond with an animal, like getting to know an animal. But there seem to be so many people, especially in this day and age, maybe more in big cities, they mm. just seem to have no connection, forget the animals, just with nature itself. Does that ever strike you as being a bit, I mean, for me, it's a bit weird, but it also is a bit sad to be so disconnected from nature. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. I think it is sad because a relationship with our environment, the environment we were born into, I think it's an essential part of growing up and developing as a human. You know, how are you supposed to know yourself if you don't know where you are? Um, Mm. And I think that this, yeah, this disconnection a lot of people have from nature and from their environment, I think it might cause them a bit of grief. Um, You know, having to... Also, just having to only talk to people all the time. That's <laughs> people can be annoying. I certainly, but <laughs> animals bring you experiences, you know, they bring you opportunities and learning curves that you never really thought you'd be able to have the opportunity to get. And they also provide you with an opportunity to really step outside your comfort zone. Only a few weeks ago, I was at a mate's place and their dog was going mental and no one knew why. Mm. It was just 
barking at the backyard and we went and had a look outside and there's a big python sitting there and I've had a couple of pythons in my house in my day and we've had snake catchers come and they carry them out and they take them to a rainforest and they you know release them back into the wild and I'm like I know how to do that so I gave it a go and all was well, didn't get bitten. Snake is now happily living free in a different rainforest and in no one's house and the dog's happy. So, you know, it's a, it's a learning opportunity. You get so many new experiences that you could never imagine. I feel like I'm speaking to the next incarnation of, um, of Steve Irwin. You, so you, you, you wrestle the snakes, compliment. It wasn't quite wrestling. He was pretty tame. He was, he, I reckon he just had dinner. So wasn't up for a fight, thankfully for me. Because nor was I. I don't know how to handle that. I was out of my pay grade already. Well, I feel like we should tell all the people watching at home, don't try this at home because don't you know try we have this at home. Americans and Brits watching and they hear this, and the first thing they're gonna do is go and try and wrestle. I mean the Brits don't have any snakes, let, let's be honest. But the Americans do some really, really big ones. Um so is it then fair to say that nothing really frightens you in the typical because again like you go to the brits the americans they go oh spiders and they see spiders and you know they're jumping away screaming or snakes i mean you handled a snake so i'm going to assume you're not afraid of the snake but are you not afraid of those typical things that get most people worked up <laughs> not particularly no i think at a very young age my parents insisted in me that fear is just some, something you haven't overcome yet um, and I think that's been a really great lesson to learn growing up and trying new things and stepping outside of my comfort zone. Um, so, no, I wouldn't quite say that I'm afraid of those normal things. And I love heights. Let's go skydiving. Come on. <laughs> so, I, I do like skydiving. Um, that, that does get the – that's the that's the adrenaline. I think I've been two or three times. Um, really? Yeah. It, it's – and you, the good thing about Australia when you go skydiving is you get some really, I don't know where you've been skydiving, but you get some really nice views as well. The last time I went skydiving was over in Newcastle and it was over the Newcastle lakes. So you don't really have a chance to be afraid because you're jumping over this perfectly pearl blue ocean and it just yeah. looks amazing. But I really like that definition that your parents gave you of fear. It's something you haven't overcome yet. So if I was to switch tax for a little bit, what, what are some of the biggest fears that you've had to overcome in your admittedly short life? Um, <laughs> what are some of the biggest fears that you've dealt with? That's a great question. Um, I, whoa, that's, that's a tough one. In 2021, I decided to shave off all of my hair for the Leukemia Foundation. And although that doesn't sound very scary, you know, you're putting some scissors and a razor to your head it's not not fearful I was losing a part of myself that I'd had for a very long time my hair used to be very long and brown and um I'd had I'd never cut it or never dyed it or anything and I knew that it was going to go to a cause and it got turned into a wig so I knew it was going to go to someone who Mm. needed it so much more than me but leading up to it oh my goodness I was scared (laughs) I was very worried that I might not look very good with a buzz cut, might look like a tennis ball, but, you know, end of the day, here we are. A couple of years later, I wouldn't say I look like a tennis ball now. So it was all worth <laughs> it in the end. We overcame that fear. <laughs> what um, what persuaded you to do that in the first place? And I'm going to preface this by saying I used to have hair 
halfway down my back. So I know what it's like to have long hair and I had it streaked blonde. And uh, I remember when I had it cut, the first, the first thing is that when you, cause you, when you get long hair, you're used to being able to run your hair, your fingers through it. Right. And then tie it behind. And then when you get the short hair, you go to do that. And it's like, Oh, my hair's run out already. Like where's it gone? <laughs> um, it go? But what, what persuaded you obviously went to a good cause. What persuaded you to shave your hair off in the first place? Yeah, great question. Um, well, when I was 12 years old, I heard of the world's greatest shape for the first time because we had um, a special day in primary school where the organisation came and spoke to us about it and people would dye their hair and do cool colours and mm. raise money that way. And I thought, you know, what a way to really create a difference because fundraising is one thing, but fundraising, and it's amazing, and people will donate, but I feel like people care so much more when you're really going that extra mile to make a difference. And it's, mm. I think a sacrifice of exterior beauty and an acceptance of beauty from within is a real physical demonstration of how to put yourself out there for a greater cause. Um, and I think that's that really inspired me when I was quite young. And then over time, I just knew too many people who were introduced to cancer and should not have been, you know, we all know someone, right? And it's just mm. something that I was, I didn't understand. I didn't like that part of the world. Why, why does this happen? Why does this exist? So I'm like, what can I actually do? I was taught very young about your circle of influence and your circle of control. And I'm like, well, there's nothing I can do about cancer. I'm no scientist. I'm no doctor. What can I do to make a difference? And that was the conclusion. <laughs> That was what we came up with in the end. So I guess that's the overall decision-making process. took a couple of years to get there, but we did. Do you have any plans to grow your hair back out? Yes, definitely. I have to keep it blonde for Miss World, but uh, we'll see what happens. (laughs) I mean, it looks good short, so, you know, you could keep it like this. But The French Bob's coming back into style, apparently, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> We're not missing out tem- there. I am tempted every now and then to grow my hair back long, but I just remember how long it takes. I mean, it probably takes a good year or so to grow it out. I'm not sure I have the patience, especially through that middle stage where it's neither short nor, nor long. Um, let me Ooh, let me ask you something that, yeah, that something that strikes me. You've mentioned your your mum and dad. I mean, we can we can see that where you're at um, looks beautiful, but you're young. You speak really well. You seem to be a very, very giving person. Um, now, those are sort of things that don't always come together in this day and age. So where did that come from? Have you always been this sort of a person? Was it the way you oh. were brought up? Was it the place you were brought up? Amazing question. Hey, I guess that's a nature versus nurture sort of situation. Mm. Um, well, I think I've just always been brought up with love and gratitude, both of my parents just, I'm very lucky. I'm friends with my parents. So like, obviously the older you get, the more you understand them as people, not just as your folks. Um, And I really like them as well as love them. So that's definitely convenient. It does, doesn't it? Liking your family is quite underrated, I think. (laughs) Um, But not everyone can... You know, you can't help who you're born into, but I got very lucky in that department. And no matter where we've been, no matter what situation we've been in, they've always just ensured that we knew that 
that we were loved and taken care of. And that made us, I have a younger brother, and that made the both of us just be able to grow up and work on ourselves and overcome our own issues and, and insecurities and be able to grow and develop as much as a person as we could because we knew that they were there for us to fall back on. And I think that at the end of the day, that support system is really what can develop a person and also ensure their maturity, you know, because mm. if you've, yeah, if you've always got someone to come home and talk to, then you know that the bad stuff can't be all that bad, right? <laughs> I mean, very lucky. It, it is a huge gift to be able to come home to a parent and feel like you can tell them anything and everything. Um, and I say it's a gift because I, I know not everyone has that. Uh, yeah. But, you know, when when the uh, poo hits the fan, so to speak, you really need <laughs> you really need someone to be able to just vent to. And we, we don't always have that. So that's a point well taken. What um, what values would you say they instilled in you the most? Ooh. Um, probably. I mean, gratitude's a big one because I think that gratitude is an underlying cause of a lot of people's stress. It is, I read an article, again, I have to reiterate, I am no scientist, but I read an article saying that the human brain is consistently thinking about the negatives rather than the positives. Say hmm. two bad things and two great things happen in one week. We're going to remember the bad more so than the great. Hmm. And that's just the human condition. So I think something that my parents instilled in my brother and I from a young age is just to really be thankful for what you have you might want what someone else has, but look at what you have that someone else might not. At the end of the day, like we have what we need and that's the most important thing. And I think staying grateful really motivates you to be giving, if that makes mm. sense. I know that's a lot of G's in one sentence, but it really does, you know, knowing that you have something to provide other people that may not have themselves. I don't know. I think it is quite inspiring and quite motivating. So gratitude, manners. Oh, goodness me. They taught us manners. There was no dessert if we did not say please and thank you. And I think that's a dying art. <laughs> so I was grateful for them for that, for sure. It's um, helped me in quite a few interviews, actually, job interviews. <laughs> don't know where I'd be without my manners. I don't, I don't, really? I, I don't have much time for rude people. That's uh, something that, because I mean, manners really are free. It's cliche, but just saying please, thank you, or opening a door, mm -hmm. or holding a door, it's just, I, I think that should never go out of fashion. Um, but you're, 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 you're right. With uh, it's interesting you mentioned the brain. Like, if two, you said two bad things and two great things happen, we tend to remember the bad. And I say that I did another video. Well, I did a video last week or two weeks ago saying that uh, your brain, this is not me saying it, but basically scientists will say, tell you the brain is designed to help you survive. It's not designed to help you thrive, which means it has to focus on the bad because the bad is yeah. what used to be was come to kill us. Like you wrestled the python, for example. So your brain will fixate on that because it's a threat to our life. But in this day and age, a threat to our life is someone hasn't liked our Instagram posts or you know our latest TikTok. And so we fixate on that rather than the gratitude, which I think is very important because we actually need to make a deliberate, I think, effort to focus mm -hmm. on the good, whereas the brain will always want to see what's bad because it's designed to protect us. So I'm interested just, I mean, do you have any daily or an ongoing 
practice of gratitude because for some people, well, even myself, personally speaking, it can be quite difficult to remember the stuff to be grateful for when you've had what seems like 9,999,000 catastrophes just in the first hour of the day. And sometimes it's just like, oh, yeah, great gratitude, whatever. That's great for hippies. But do you have, a, <laughs> do you have an ongoing practice or is it just so much a part of you that you naturally do it? I wish I had an ongoing practice. I have friends who may practice mindfulness once or twice a day. They do journaling, meditation. Mm. It's amazing. And it de I think it definitely works. Practicing gratitude has an incredible impact on your mind. I am just too lazy and forgetful to do that every day. I wish I did. <laughs> um, I'm sure it would have a <laughs> tremendous effect. But... No, I don't. Um, time just gets away from me and every day gets so busy. So if a couple of days go past and I notice that more more poo hits the fan in your words, <laughs> I just need to sort of take a step back and be like, oh, hold on a minute. Too much is happening. We need to think about, you just need to take a step back from all your issues, take a step back from the chaos of whatever's going on and be like, all right, I'm okay. I've got everything that I have. I'm where I am now, and it's not that bad. That's the thing, hey. It's not that bad. I mean, no one's <laughs> – we'll be okay. Well, at least my issues. I get a bit stressed sometimes and then have to be like, okay, you know what? You got this. Stay grateful. You got stuff to be happy for. You know, that's the thing. As long as you think about what you have to be happy for, yeah, that should hopefully make up for the rest. I definitely think that in this country and many other Western countries, it's very easy to find someone who's got it worse than you. I think we sometimes forget how lucky we are. I mean, especially living in Australia. I mean, during the pandemic, before the pandemic, I don't know for yourself, but I was thinking, oh, you know, I'd love to live here, love to live there. And I, I think I took Australia sort of for granted. But then when the pandemic hit and I was overseas, I was in the UK for a pageant and the pandemic oh, hit. No. I was almost trapped over there. Can you imagine being trapped in the UK winter for two for two years? But I've we never would have been, been there more... at the same time. Oh, Sorry. well, there you go. But um, I've never been so grateful for this country since the pandemic. I mean, was that a sim? I mean, what was the pandemic like for yourself? Um, well, I was in year twelve, so that's good. Timing. Probably the worst timing possible. But I was on the Sunshine Coast up in Queensland, so we were really quite lucky. Um, I think we had about two weeks of lockdown and that was just staying at home. You can go to the grocery shops if yep. you need to kind of thing. Um, but then aside from that, we really were quite lucky. Um, we still got to have a little bit of a formal, a little bit of a high school graduation. It was definitely oh, wow. limited because of, um, sure. you know, yeah, spreading, but... We, at least we had something. I know that even my family and friends in Victoria, it's still oh, Australia, but they got nothing. Yeah. Melbourne had the most days in lockdown out of any city in the world. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I, we used to, we were born and raised in Melbourne and then moved up to the Sunshine Coast when I was a kid. And thank goodness for that. I couldn't, I, that winter would have been very difficult. Winter in the yeah. UK, try winter in Melbourne. Goodness me. That's well, just think... brutal. Well, I think the thing, at least in Melbourne, is that you're in Australia. The thing in UK is that you're over. I mean, I, I, I love the UK, but in terms of lifestyle, I would never trade Australia. 
for the UK. But you, I mean, you said you were born in Melbourne. So do you have, which, which one's better, Melbourne or the Sunshine Coast? Oh, that's an impossible question to ask. <laughs> it's okay. You don't have to answer it if it's going to insult someone. I, don't know, I know which one I prefer. Just, <laughs> just lifestyle and weather-wise, I know which one I prefer. Lifestyle and weather-wise, definitely the Sunshine Coast. But when it gets cold and grey, and if you're not a beach person, there's not that much to do. I'll go on a lot of hikes. I'll go to the rainforest and go to the waterfalls. I surf or kayak. You know, the nature is amazing. But when the conditions aren't nature conditions, there's not that much going on. So in that regard, I'd say Victoria because the city, Melbourne city is probably my favourite in the world. I mean, it's got everything that you could ask for. It's a beautiful city. Yeah, yeah. I, do, I do love the city itself. I know Sydney obviously has the Opera House and the Harbour Bridge, but my thing Beautiful. is always, you know, after that, what? Because, you, you know, you look at it for a certain amount of time, but I prefer the the Melbourne, the, the layout of the Melbourne, uh, uh, the layout of Melbourne. It just feels a bit friendlier to me. Um, but I want to ask you, because you, you've mentioned a couple of times that I've asked you good questions, and I'm wondering whether this is because your degree is in journalism. And I've got it here, so... <laughs> I'm just wondering if the journalist is going, hey, wow, yeah, ask me a good question. It may not be. I don't know. It's just curious. But double degree in journalism, creative writing, and publishing. Tell me more because obviously I'm, people call me a pageant journalist. I don't really see it as that, but whatever. I've done creative writing and I've published a few books. Tell me more about this double degree. You'll have to tell me more about those books later though. But, <laughs> well, when I was in high school, I wasn't sure entirely what I wanted to do with my life as most high schoolers mm-hmm. are. Um, and I was, it was time to apply for uni. I am really lucky there's a university just 10 minutes down the road, the University of the Sunshine Coast, and that's got an amazing campus. I knew I wanted to go there. There are even kangaroos on campus. So I was for sure happy about that. But I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to make a difference and use my voice for the better and have an environmental impact. But I haven't got the the science brain to do the environmental impact that really seems to make a difference at the moment. You know, I can't do the research. I can't, it's just not my forte, but what I like doing, I love writing. I've loved writing my whole life. My grandpa's an author and I think I inherited his gene for just the passion of words, you know, and words are sharper than the sword. So I knew I wanted to really, do something that incorporated all of my passions. I needed to use my voice. I needed to be in nature and I needed to write. And so one of my friends recommended journalism and I started researching. I researched mostly investigative journalism with mm-hmm. the goal of um, pursuing that in the future. My my interests have definitely veered more towards environmental journalism now, although investigative journalism is still on the tables. But sure. when I heard about that, I immediately just thought that's that's the one, you know. I it's a position where I can write, I can use that voice, I can travel as well because obviously mm. you got your notepad and pen or your computer, and Bob's your uncle. There you go, you're sorted. So I just really wanted to have an opportunity to integrate all of my passions and my skills, and this is what we came up with. Have you, have you given any thought, because the journalism industry, I was just thinking about this the other day, the journalism industry is struggling a little bit, maybe not the journalism industry, but the newspaper industry, because we don't really, you know, 
print media, we don't real most of us don't get print newspapers anymore. We're more likely to just read something on social media than getting, you know, the old fashioned newspaper. Um, have you given any thought to in terms of pursuing journalism? Would you like to work at a newspaper? Are we talking about like video journalism, like being a reporter, or would you start with your own blog? Like how how would you go about pursuing it as a profession? I was about to say that's a great question. I need to I need to dial it down on that. <laughs> Pull back on the confluence. Um, well, I definitely have thought about video journalism. I'd love to work in news. Um, mm. I have some friends at the radio at Hot ninety one point one here on the Sunshine Coast, and their job looks like a dream come true, genuinely. But before I do something like that, I need to use my voice for good. I need to be heard and do what I truly can to make a difference. So I'd like to ideally do a bit of travel to third world countries and write independently. So release some maybe freelance work, probably a blog, seeing at the mm. um, the rate we're going at the moment with journalism yeah. does all, it is all online. So that would probably be the best way to go um, and speak about topical issues that I see, you know, humanitarian issues, environmental and then hopefully make my way around to Washington to work at National Geographic. That's the goal. But um, that's, oh, okay. a, that's a fair way in the future. But that's, wow. where, we okay. hope, that's where I hope to end up because National Geographic, I mean, everyone, everyone reads them. They have a huge yeah. global impact. What better way to get an environmental difference across and truly, truly create change, I think, with your words. That's, that seems to be the best way to go. What about pursuing something similar to a Steve Irwin or a David Attenborough? I would love to be like the next David Attenborough. If he's after an assistant, um, my hand up, that would be that would be the dream of all time. But it's a bit difficult to get into that field for sure. You know, you have to be the the one of a kind, the one who's really going that extra mile to get out there in nature and get your hands dirty. So hopefully one day. You just wait and see, hey. <laughs> you, you did. You did wrestle a python, so I think you you are on a like, <laughs> that, that already puts you at least in the one to or in a thousand one. I don't know many people who would be voluntarily wrestling pythons, but I mean, you, you, if you've got that sort of, if you love talking, you love presenting, and then you love animals and nature. To me, it it seems, and you love traveling. That's the other thing because you you can't do like a Steve Irwin or certainly a David Attenborough type of job. If, I mean, I've seen I've seen the man lying down in like snowfields and jungles, <laughs> and how I don't know how old he is now, and he's still going. That man is incredible. He's a trooper. He's an absolute weapon. We got lucky with him, one of a kind, I think. If you okay, let me throw it back to the journalist in you. If you were to, if you had five minutes with Sir David, um, Sir Attenborough, what questions would you ask him? I would ask him, well, firstly, I'd want to know how he started. I've done a bit of research on him. Like I've looked into his backstory, but obviously it's not just about confidence and getting yourself out there and, you know, trying time and time again and pursuing no matter being how hard you get pushed back. Mm. There's, he has, he has something, he has a little, he draws you in. Hey, you, you have to keep listening. You have to keep watching. He's very, yeah. yeah, he's very attentive. I'd like to know mm. what what truly makes David Attenborough David Attenborough and how I can 
because I could never be him. Who can, you know? Mm. But how can I inspire other people in the same way? How can I spread this voice and light the fire in everyone to to care? That's the main thing is just inspiring other people to care as much as you do. Um, and I think that he does an amazing job at that because everyone can tell just by talking to him how passionate he is. So mm. I think I'd have to ask him just how do you how do you infect other people with your passion? That's really the big one because you can talk as much as you can, but it's whether people listen. I think as silly as it sounds, he's known quite a lot for his voice. The guy does have a very distinctive voice. Captivating. Yeah, and it really mm. does draw you in. I mean, we have like, sometimes you have celebrities trying to do nature documentaries and it just doesn't work. But I, I've often heard the TV in the background, like my parents watching something and, you know, you just hear David Attenborough's voice and, you know, you, there aren't many voices that I would hear and go, I know who that's, that is speaking. And I think, you know, obviously the guy knows so much and he's adventurous. He's got boundless amounts of energy, but to have that such an iconic voice doing what he does, mm -hmm. doing what he does, I think that's absolutely amazing. Um, let, let me ask you. So for work, because um, obviously you had your bias, you got work as a disability support worker. And I think there's a common yeah. theme here is that you seem to be someone who really, really cares, which is nice in this day and age, someone who genuinely puts their money where their mouth is. Um, <laughs> how did you get into that and what is it like on a daily basis? Oh, well, I've, I've only been doing it for a short time now. I have been, I'd been in hospitality for about six years and I loved it because of the customer service side of things. You're always talking to new people. And it's been an amazing opportunity. I got to um, manage a bar up in Gary, Fraser Island, for six oh, wow. months. Yeah, biggest sand island in the world. So that was yeah. the opportunity of a lifetime. But after a while, I just got a little bit, a little bit tired of not people doing anything positive well also getting people drunk <laughs> to be honest i want to get people happy but i don't think that's yeah. quite the way to go about it <laughs> so i thought mm, might be time for a career change um and a close friend of mine who i was visiting in melbourne said that they had just started working as a disability support worker and i'd thought about it for a long time because it's such a such a it's a necessary job there has to be disability support workers because there are clients that that need people to fulfill mm. their lives to be able to live to the best of their ability um so i knew that it was a great option for helping people but i didn't quite know the parameters of the of the you know the stress load and the actual physical load of the job and i just picked her brain a little bit about it and although yes days certainly get difficult i've had to learn a lot about handling a person who can't handle themselves you know yeah. feeding clothing all that sort of stuff it's stuff i've had to learn on the fly but mm. gosh it's not a moment goes by that you don't think that you want to be there you know because if you want then what would your client be doing you know and yeah. it, it really just opens your eyes to like i was saying earlier the gratitude this job helps me stay grateful that's for sure because i think mm. to myself I can come home, I can walk, I can talk. That's, I'm so lucky for that because so many people don't have that. So although the days certainly get difficult sometimes and they're physically exhausting, especially carrying stuff, it can get pretty heavy. Yeah. I don't need a gym membership anymore, but um, it's absolutely beyond a doubt worth it. You know, I, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And I get 
another client early next week and I only met her for the first time yesterday and I'm so excited to start on that and I'm just yeah I'm very fortunate it's an amazing position so I really recommend it to anyone who wants to have that opportunity to make a difference and see their see the miles that they put in actually turn into something you know you can really visually see the work that you're doing and how it helps and it's amazing do you tend to work more with a few people that you get to know really well or is it more like a rotation and you just go to a different place every day um i suppose it depends on the position that the support worker has but for me personally i have my set clients so i have two clients and i look after a house so the house has three um clients in there and there has to be someone in the house at all times um to essentially just make sure that everyone's everyone's behaving themselves it's a bunch of boys and they get cheeky sometimes so i sort of like the the house mum for them a couple of nights a week um and thankfully one of them I got into that position through my client who lives there um, and I've been with him the longest. Um, and although what we do isn't, isn't all that, you know, isn't all that fun. You know, I take him to his appointments and I take him home and we chat. Yeah. It's just, there is never a silent moment. He's an absolute character. And I look forward to, I haven't looked forward to going to work in quite a long time. I think that that can be said for a lot of people, but mm. um I find myself now being like, oh, I wonder what he's been up to for the day and I wonder what we're going to talk about because he just tells me of, he's a bit elderly and he tells me of all his stories of <laughs> times I, I will never experience, that's for sure. And it's just, I, I, I don't know, I feel like my life would be a bit, a bit boring without them. Now, if I ever went back to a different job, I think I'd get, yeah, sick of it pretty easily. It's Every day is different and got a lot thrown at you, so... I'm very lucky for that. So my all my clients are very special, very special to me. Sounds like you get to develop an actual meaningful personal connection, which I think in this day and age means a lot because a lot of like hospitality, for example, you see one person one night, you never see them again. Next person, you know, next it, it's just yeah. an ongoing you know, carousel of endless humans. And as you said, you know, they were getting drunk because that's that's where they are. But being able to like, I can't imagine the stories you know, he must have, your client must have told you. Pretty funny. We, <laughs> probably some of which you can't repeat on, on air. That's, but, I um, really can't. <laughs> he's pretty inappropriate sometimes, but he's he's absolutely hilarious. But I love that when people get a bit older and you, you, you learn to not really care what other people think. And uh, part of it also, there was a completely different age and era, obviously. But uh I, I do kind of miss that. I think sometimes everything is so sanitized now. Everything has to be so politically correct that sometimes we lose just having a good story or a good laugh yeah. or having someone who's a bit of a character. So That's I can right. imagine that there must be not necessarily fun every day, certainly not glamorous, but it must be pretty fulfilling. It, fulfilling. That's absolutely the word for it. Yeah. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. I'm very lucky for it. Um, you just get to think like because obviously the clients will have doctors and appointments how many times out of the week having that consistent person coming and a friendly face as well who who wants to talk to them who wants to engage who isn't just there to you know give them their dosage and head on out you know I think that that's it it it's 
it makes you feel like you have a true purpose, you know? You're there for someone yeah, else. And I think seeking happiness from outside of yourself is a ridiculously gratifying experience. You know, you get to truly put yourself in their shoes and just think, yeah, think to yourself how lucky you are and how amazing it is to be able to help as well. Like it's, mm. yeah, I'm very lucky. I love, I love that job, truly. Have you, have you ever caught yourself thinking one day I'll be that old and uh, I'll need someone to look after me and I wonder what stories I'm going to tell them or do I have enough stories oh. to actually tell someone? I haven't thought of the story part actually. I have thought when I get old I need to, um, you know, keep my fitness up to health because it's <laughs> yeah. interesting. <laughs> I don't don't really want someone looking after me one day and I think if I ever get to the stage where I need that, I might just move to a secluded island and live with all the coconuts Fraser there island. instead. Oh, go to, that's go to Fraser the Island and get drunk. Yeah. Full circle. <laughs> we'll make it back. I'll, I'll finish my all my journalism accomplishments and then before I retire, I'll just nick up there and, yeah, exactly right, full circle. Can't go wrong. Hang out with the dingoes. <laughs> It'd be boring everyone there like with tales of, oh, 50 years ago I used to work at this bar here and I was getting <laughs> people drunk and in my day they did things differently. Um, but I guess I, I should ask you, I mean, obviously you are in a pageant. so um, That's right. I sure am. How did, how did this happen? Well... Now the pageant Miss World Australia. I was, I had just gotten back from um, Europe. I took two months off over my uni break last year to go backpacking around Europe by myself. And when I got back, I was, I had the, I had the travel bug. I had, you know, the energy, the excitement. I needed to do something exciting, and I was. So my mind was already open to the possibility of the next great adventure. And then I was on Variety's Instagram page when I saw, sorry, Variety is the um, children's charity that Miss World Australia supports. So all their contestants are encouraged um, to raise funds for Variety and organise fundraisers and really just go that extra mile for these kids. Um, and after discovering that, because I, I don't even think I'd, um, I'd obviously heard of Miss World, but yeah. I'd never any sort of modeling and never saw any sort of pageantry um and I didn't quite know how they all worked I didn't even know that they involved um charities so after discovering yeah. that and thinking this is a way to use to to grow your voice as well because obviously it's all in the media you learn how to speak publicly you really you're not only a face you are a voice so it's yeah. an opportunity to develop my skills and my confidence as a public speaker and as someone who wants to advocate for my passions as well as fundraise for a charity that was so close to my heart because obviously mm. disability care is something that I'm passionate about and Variety supports. Um, it's, I think it's one of the biggest charities in Australia for supporting disabled and disadvantaged youth. Um, and I went to their active day quite recently. They had one on the coast and volunteered there. It was amazing. They're an incredible charity. Oh, wow. yeah. So after hearing about how Miss World really creates a difference and the importance of Miss World's variety, you know, the um, participants raise so much and they put so much passion and dedication into this mission. And after discovering that, I just thought I'd apply, you know, what's the worst that can happen? I'd get rejected. Oh, well, I'll move on with my life. I'll live. I didn't get rejected. I made it in. To everyone's surprise, especially my mother's, <laughs> I was um, op shopping at the time with my grandma and mum and I got the email and I'm like, ah, 
guys, look at this. I think there were tears shed. Um, but made it through states to everyone's surprisement, um, which was great because I actually had a black eye at the time. I'd had a mountain biking incident that week. And I told the judges at the um, state finals, I made a joke about it and they laughed. So I expected my um, adventurous spirit to maybe get shut down in the pageantry world, but they really appreciated it, I think. So um, that I was quite grateful for because, you know, everyone always thinks that you have to be like everybody else and fit into the yeah. cookie cutter category. But when I... When I told them who I really was, which is the black-eyed doofus, they, they loved it. So I was stoked about that. And then we had the preliminary finals again recently. Um, sorry, the state finals recently. And I was fully prepared for that. No, no injuries. We were all good. <laughs> and made it through that as well. And that was an incredible opportunity. And I met so many people. And thankfully, leading up to that experience, um, I got to do a fundraiser. I organized and hosted the um, Beauty with a Purpose fundraiser for Variety Children's Charity. It was a fashion runway supporting all oh, wow. local designers. Um, a lot of them focus on sustainability as well, which is a huge part of my journey with Miss World. All of my dresses have been sustainably sourced, which is really difficult to do for formal wear. But yeah. we, we get there in the end. So I was really, really um, excited to bring the people of Brisbane an opportunity to you know, get to watch some beautiful, talented young models. And some of them, it was their first opportunity ever doing a runway as well. So I was grateful mm. to provide them with that. Um, these people got to watch some amazing, talented designs come down the runway and each ticket went directly to Variety. You know, there was a little raffle and everything. So the Miss World journey has provided me with the opportunity to really just do stuff I could never have imagined, you know, hosting that fundraiser and meeting those people opened so many doors and I got to, you know, yeah. really experience what it was like to put the to put the miles in to make that difference. And I was so grateful for it. And now I'm hosting another fundraiser in a couple of weeks. We've got a little yin and gin. Um, and then I'm a little ridiculously what? excited. A yin and gin. So it's a, um, a yin yoga and gin tasting. I've got a couple of yin <laughs> yoga instructors coming around. and not Not at the same time, I'm assuming. I mean, there'll be breaks. You got to get your body all loose and ready yoga. to do yoga. Yin yoga is, if I had done, I mean, I'm not very flexible, so yin yoga was quite painful. <laughs> but yoga already is quite relaxing. I have to imagine if I had a gin at the same time, I'd probably fall asleep. <laughs> well, we might have a couple of people napping on the maps, but it's for a cause. So <laughs> I can say nap for a cause instead of yoga for a cause, you know. <laughs> It's all up to them what they want to do, I suppose. Yin Everyone and gin. Comes that, along. That, is, is, that a, is that a thing that you came up with? Because I've never heard of that before. I've heard of like, what is it? The, the, the paint, and, paint and sip. Paint and sip. Yeah. That's right. Yin and gin. I wanted to is be this, one. Is this something that you've come up with or is this a, like a, a new craze that I haven't heard of? <laughs> um, it's definitely not a new craze, but you're not, you never know. We could start one. Could end up influencing others to do the same. But there was a paint and sip and a clay and sip down the road from where I am at the moment. And I thought it was a fantastic idea, but they weren't for charity. And the yeah. venue is, um, I'm friends with the venue owner and they're amazing. Um, it's the Duporth Tavern. They're, they're in Marichidor and the team there is family owned and operated. They're a really great team. Um, and this is where they had the paint and sip and the clay and sip. And I went to them and I said, 
I'd love to do a fundraiser soon with a similar, you know, creative mm. and, and energetic spirit. I went to the paint and sip and there were just maybe 50 um, people in this big room painting and, you know, drinking their champagne, having their cocktails and the laughter, it was atmospheric, truly. The energy in the room, just it could make anyone smile. Everyone was just happy to be there and happy to be creative and chatting and I loved that. But mm. because they'd just done that, they said no to a paint and sip, of course. So I had to have another little think. And I liked the sipping idea. I thought that was quite cute. And I was thinking about it. And I have um, some friends who are yoga instructors and they suggested doing a yoga session because people will come to that. People will fundraise for that. And yeah. I thought about combining the two. And I did some research on different types of yoga. I'd never done yin yoga before. And I thought... Mm. You know, look at that. The pun's right there. Uh, it'd be just the marketing in me just had to take it. I it, can't waste an opportunity like that. You know, they come so rare. So <laughs> here we are, Yin and Jin. And I've been very lucky to actually score a deal with um, Paradise Distilleries down on the Gold Coast. They're family-owned and operated, and they use Australian nice. native botanica, like the Kakadu plum, which is harvested by First Nations oh, people wow. up in Northern Territory, yep. and Rosella flower. So they, they... They, they use their voice to speak about stuff that I'm passionate about as well, you know, the Australian environment. And I'm like, okay, we have yoga, we have Australian gin, we have fundraising. I think this is set to go. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a good time. You know what sucks about all this? I hear you guys, I interview a lot of you guys, and you have these really interesting um, charity fundraising ideas, and they're never in Sydney. That's the problem. <laughs> they're, they're always somewhere else, whether it's a paint and sip or yin and gin. It's always somewhere else. I'm like, why That's can't right. anyone do something interesting in Sydney? Maybe I oh, am in no. the wrong city after all. But um, I need I'll to back you, you up. What? Thanks. <laughs> Don't send me one if I can't go. I, 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 need, I want the gin. <laughs> I, mean, the, I do love yoga as well, but I'm very partial to gin. And um, that's amazing you managed to bring... Uh, someone a sponsor on board who's from Australia because Australia is making some of the world's best gins right now. That hasn't always been the case. It's a really booming industry. But back me up for a sec because you, you you said your mom was surprised when you got in, and also <laughs> the mountain bike. So I need two questions. You shouldn't do this in journalism. But one, why was your mom surprised? Two, how did you get the black eye? Well. Oh, I need to figure out how to say the mum one and still sound elegant and classy because essentially the way my mum says it is she never knows who's going to walk in the door, a 12-year-old boy or a beauty queen. I just, there's no in-between. You know, I, I rock up in my shorts and my, my singlet and all messy from playing out in the garden or something like that or <laughs> I am, you know, glamorous and heading off to Miss World. So she just wasn't really expecting that. And also I don't think I ever told her I applied. So it definitely oh, okay. came out of the blue. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That, that makes more sense. <laughs> it definitely came out of the blue for her, so I can't blame her. Um, and the black eyes, yeah, I had my brother and dad go mountain biking profusely. They love it. We've got some great tracks here on the Sunshine Coast. Yeah. Um, and I said to them, oh, I'll, I'll give it a go. Sounds great. Uh, and it, it was great until the very last leg and I basically just flew over the handlebars head first and landed face first in the gravel. Um, I have two scars on my face now, black eyes. Nice. We managed to cover it up with makeup. It was great for the event, but it was 
pretty pretty disastrous. So I made sure that before the state finals, I was bubble wrapped. You know, oh, n- nothing was touching me. And I've done the same leading up to the um, national finals, which are hopefully around the corner. Um, I've been quite careful, but my my luck hasn't been with me there. I went on a beach walk just the other day and broke my toe. So I'm in a moon boot at the moment. Hopefully I'll be out of it by the time the national finals come so I can wear heels. How, how did you that. break your toe? I just um, stubbed it against a tree root and that was somehow enough to break it. Yeah, so I'm not even sure if it's me anymore. How painful was that? Because stubbing toes is one of those things, like, it's not life-threatening, but it really hurts. Yeah, I would have rather broken a different bone, to be honest. The toes are not. (laughs) It wasn't fun, but um, that's all right, you know. Hopefully it heals fast enough to just be able to wear heels I, at the I don't, I don't think they've thing. ever had a moon boot on the Miss World Australia national like stage. So, I mean, if you have to rock the moon boot, you have to rock the moon boot. Just make it look stylish. How, yeah. how many Ooh, things have you, how many things have you broken? How many bones have you broken? I've been very lucky there. Actually. Um, I broke my arm when I was a kid and my toe the other week. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've been re- very lucky with broken bones, um, which considering my adventurous lifestyle is, yeah, really handy. So I like to keep out there as much as I can, which means limited injuries, hopefully. You described yourself as a black-eyed doofus, and it's just stuck in my, <laughs> it's just stuck in my head. I've, I don't think I've ever heard such a perfect catchphrase. I think, you know, Miss World Australia National Finals is a bit more glamorous than Black-Eyed Doofus. Can you imagine if you win Miss World Australia, like Black-Eyed Doofus wins Miss World Australia? (laughs) That would be a headline. Maybe we shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, I have to contact the newspapers, right? I mean, they can't (laughs) be missing out on this. I I think that's perfect. You've got to be memorable in this day and age and Black-Eyed Doofus. (laughs) People are like, what? Like, please explain. Uh, yeah. The, the the other thing I wanted to ask you because you have a song up on Spotify. I don't know if it's one or or there's more. And um, I was listening to it as I told you. It's very very mellow. I don't know how. I don't know if we have the similar music tastes, but probably twenty years ago there was a really big recording artist out there called Dido, and she was very famous for having very mellow music, which I describe mm. as red wine music. You know, it's after a long hard day. Things maybe aren't going so great. Actually, it's probably perfect winter sort of music, you know, go by in front of a <laughs> yeah. fire, have red wine and just, you know, be a little, be a little mellow. How, how did that come about? Um, yeah, well, it is just the one song on Spotify at the moment oh, on all streaming platforms. Sorry, I hope to have more one day, but writing music takes time. Yeah. I've written songs for as long as I can remember. Like I said, I, I love writing. I, I write mm stories, I write articles, I write poetry. I love writing. So writing lyrics came quite naturally to me. And I've been, um, I took piano classes since I was maybe five years old. So I've always been very interested in that side of things and being able to get, you know, get the feelings across in song that you can't otherwise. I think that really inspired me, you know. Although I do remember when I was 11 years old writing my first song about Twilight. Have you seen, you know, the movies? You wrote a song about Twilight. My very okay. first song ever was about Twilight. <laughs> I still remember it, to be honest with you. Um, but since then, so I, was, I was 11 years old when I wrote that and I just haven't stopped since. I 
write a song every time I feel something that I can't express otherwise and I need to, you know, need to get it on paper, need to feel feel things deeply because I think a lot of people don't do that often mm. anymore. Life is too busy and chaotic that when people need to feel, they can often just push them down and carry on with life and I'd rather put it out in song form. So <laughs> I started writing music um, and then I took a songwriting and performance class at university last year and um, I really developed this song more. I'd written it before that but my teacher helped me change some of the words and just build it up right. a bit and also help me write the music because I've, on, I've only ever been able to play piano, even guitar. Yeah. I'm trying to teach myself now, but I'm pretty hopeless at it. So I really needed the extra help with the music side of things. And that's where I met Bob. Now, Bob is an absolute producing legend. I had a chat with him at university and I said, look, I'd love the opportunity to work with you on a song. Um, I played him a few of them and he picked this one and he said, yep, that's that's a winner. Let's let's go for it. And we did. We had a couple of days in his studio. We did all of the all of the songwriting together. So mm. all the music that you hear, we've worked on as a collaborative process. Um, and then I sung it, which was a daunting experience. I've only sung in public maybe twice, let alone in front of a proper microphone in a studio. So that was amazing. But he walked me through it, and he was so supportive. And in the end from the start came out <laughs> and I'm really I was so excited about that it's a, I'm also going to be performing that at the Miss World Australia National Finals because there's a talent section of that and I'm so excited to be able to share a song that I you know not only wrote the music and lyrics for but co-produced and sung in so I'm beyond excited for that opportunity it's going to be incredible to share that that story with people you know it's amazing you, this is your first pageant isn't it yeah that's right yeah, no, I was just going to say, you, you, you obviously are a newbie to pageantry because normally with these um, talent things, um, people love to keep it a closely guarded secret, what they're going to do. It's like all mind games. No, you don't have to. It's I like mean, keeping the color of your you gown a secret. <laughs> <laughs> but I love how you just put because I was going to think, like, that's if I had written a song and performed, like, my own song, like, that's what I would do. Yeah. It's sing, singing, singing and songwriting, it's one thing to do the lyrics, but then it's another thing to come up with the music, as you said. And then it's another thing to actually be able to perform it. Um, mm. And there are some people who can only do one of those things and they've done very well only doing one of those things. But be able to be able to bring them all together, it's one of those skills that I've always been quite envious of. Anyone who can write their own song, sing and perform their own song that's not an easy sort of trio of skills to bring together. And then obviously you had some help from your producer friend, but um, that, how, how does it feel to like when you w got in front of that microphone for the first time, I imagine it's probably a microphone similar to this kind of setup, yeah. you know, big one condenser mic. How, how did it feel when you begun, you know, you heard the tune and you begin singing your own song for the first time and you know it's going on to Spotify where the world can hear it. Yeah. Well, it took a bit of getting used to, that's for sure. I know that the first the first verse I had to redo and redo and because I was just, I was nervous. You know, this is yeah. the first time that something I'd written would be shared publicly, not just as a song but as me as a person. You know, this was almost my 
um, oh, I don't know, almost my debut as a yeah. like public artist. figure of any sorts. Yeah, as an artist. Yeah. Um, so I was very nervous, but once I'd finished that first verse really and given it a couple of cracks and gotten into it and realised that I didn't need to be thinking about that just yet. Right now yeah. I just had to feel the music, feel the lyrics and sort of try and connect to what I was trying to say, you know, and because it's singing, the the skill and the um, like the technicality of it is obviously incredibly important and mm. essential, especially in a song that's going to be streamed like globally. But the I think what makes a real difference, and you'll find this in a lot of, like you were saying, mellow music and that sort of sultry kind of atmospheric music, is that the um, feeling in the singer's voice and the emotion that they're pulling, like it, yeah. it pulls it out of you and that's what connects you to that music. So I was just really keeping in mind that I don't just want to sound, you know, good or like technically correct. I want yeah. to make people feel things and I want to yeah. have them connect with my music. So I think that's really where my head was at while trying to mm. <laughs> trying to sing the lyrics correctly. <laughs> You've got to have a lot of things going on in your head at once when doing that, I suppose. Yeah, I, I can relate to that somewhat. I played the violin yeah. since I was two. Oh, wow. Um, and I was always told that my playing was, I, I focused too much on technique and not enough on emotion. Now, when you're, you know, a two-year-old, five-year-old, 12-year-old boy, you hear this, oh, be, be more emotional. You're like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> like, I played it right, right? That, that's all that matters. But, you know, as you get older, you, you do appreciate um it's the emotions almost that you bring out of your listener. That's the whole point of doing the performance in the first place. It's not necessarily doing it the best or doing it perfectly, mm. but it's really about the emotions. And I think it, it's an emotional, it's emotional for you as a performer as well. Cause I, I, I was telling you, cause I, I watched it on Spotify. I, I didn't realize there was a video on Spotify and um, I, I looked down and um for, for those of you who don't know, I strongly suggest you... What, what's the name of the song again, Jessica? From the Start. Okay, so look up From the Start on Spotify and put Jessica Lane in there as well. And you'll watch and there's a video. And I had to double... I was preparing dinner or something at the time. I was chopping with a knife and I looked and I'm like, is that someone falling <laughs> off a bench? And then I looked at it and I'm like, they're falling off the bench again. And then I'm like... <laughs> And uh, I thought my internet was glitching. I thought, I thought the, sound, the song was right, but the, the video must be glitching. And then I just watched the whole thing. You just keep falling. It's the same clip playing again and again. And I assume it's you, and you seem to be face planting off of a bench. <laughs> Can you tell me the story behind that? That made my day, by the way. Someone who, <laughs> someone who on their debut single will put that up as the video, that's someone I have a lot of respect for. Please tell me the story. <laughs> oh thank you well the song is very emotional it's it's a song about heartbreak um and if I succeeded in my goal of getting my listener to feel what I was trying to say then my listener would be sad as well you know I know when I listen to sad music and if I connect properly I'll close my yeah. laptop or put my headphones out and I'll just be like hmm kind of blue now and, of course, that's the emotion I wanted to get across with the song. Yeah. But as, like you said, it is my first song. It's the first time anyone's going to hear me or know about me. I don't want them to think I'm all that, all that sad. You know, I'm, I'm a happy-go-lucky person. 
Um, and I had to portray that somehow. So what better way to do it than an exact juxtaposition of the song's portrayal, which is something very silly. Um, and falling <laughs> off a chair does that. So, I, I, I wish it to, was something. I, I need to ask the obvious question. Did you record that video just for the music video or did you just happen to have a video on your phone of yourself falling off a chair? Lasha. <laughs> One of my closest friends is down for the weekend and I don't see her very often. So um, I was taking her to a nearby restaurant and they were playing some music just before we arrived. They had a live Brazilian um, band okay. on. So we, we both had a little dance party before we had dinner. I hopped <laughs> up on the ta- on the chair and wasn't on the chair for very long. <laughs> so, you know, but hey, like you listened to the song, you understood what it was about and then you got to laugh. So... It's it's all about balance, right? <laughs> well, apparently not for yourself because you didn't stay on the chair. So, <laughs> yes, it's about balance. But you might need some more. I I th- it sounds silly, but like that's I I love the song, but I think I'm going to remember the the video clip more because it's just I I think one of the things I love the most about people is when they're actually able to laugh at themselves, and there are a lot of people who can't. And I find that really quite a sad statement on the world because, like, what, what are we here to do if not to enjoy ourselves? You know, find what you love doing, help other people, but you got to have some laughs in there, surely. And there are some people who are just so stiff and uptight, like, oh, no, I have to be perfect all the time. So it's just really refreshing. And I don't know if I'm reading too much into this, but I think it's, it says a lot about your character that you'd be willing to put that up as the video for your debut single. You, you didn't have to, you know, have a million dollar video, you know, full editing suite sort of thing. It's just you showing your lack of balance. I, I really <laughs> like that. Thank you. Well, hopefully I'll get a music video up and running one day and that might be taken a bit more seriously. But for now, I mean, like you said, <laughs> not enough people can laugh at themselves. It, it gets too serious sometimes out there, and if I yeah. if I give someone a if I give some someone something to smile about, I think that's a win in my books. How painful was it falling off that chair? It looked pretty like face first. I have got a scar on my lower back. <laughs> but okay, I asked you how many right. bones you broke and how many scars do you have? No, now that one is not. <laughs> um, the answer to that is probably an unimaginable number, an unimaginable number. I uh, I could not even calculate it, to be honest with you. But in the wise words of Tomater from Cars, I can't quote him exactly, never mind, but <laughs> more scars. Yeah. To paraphrase. <laughs> to paraphrase Mater <laughs> from Cars, the more scars you have, the fuller your life. You know, a life with no scars and no bruises is a life half-lived. Because it means that you're bubble wrapping yourself, you're sheltering yourself. I, I want to get out there and get in the world and may as well look the part, right? You're talking about scars, I mean, I do agree with you and I think you do need to push yourself out of your comfort zone. But I, have, I am also on a beauty pageant, so we have to be careful. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I have one scar and it's on my right um, eyebrow because when I was two or three, I went face first through a glass table. The funny thing was my younger brother has the exact same scar from in the same place 
from going through not the same table, but from going through another table as well. So my brother oh my and goodness. I have matching. I don't, I, don't, I don't know why, but I feel like I'm missing out now. I, I don't have enough scars. I feel like I need to go out there and go get some scars and then maybe I can release a music <laughs> video too. I'm sure the adventures that led up to these scars were all memorable, but the permanent reminders are not, <laughs> they're not worth it. You just stick with your lovely skin. It's what, it's nice to keep fresh. Hey, it's a, it's a life well lived. Um, That's exactly right. Well, we've been on for a minute. So just before we get to the final 10, is there anyone you would like to give a shout out to? Oh, the main person I really need a shout out to is my parents. I know I've spoken about them quite a few times in this, in this video and people might be getting a bit sick of me being such a, you know, mummy and daddy's girl, but without them, I don't even know where I'd be. They got me through school. They've gotten me through every, every issue I've thrown at them. And I'm sure I've given them plenty and just without their constant support and also support through the Miss World program. You know, they, I got a bit nervous when I got accepted. I thought I'm not, I'm not like these other girls. I I've never done beauty before. I've never been in a pageant. I'm out of my league. And not once have they made me feel like I wasn't enough. And that's so important, I think, especially as a young woman trying to trying to make a name for herself. Feeling like you're enough is so important. And for my parents to constantly reinforce that and make me feel valued, that's amazing. So I'm so, so grateful yeah. for them. Shout out to my parents. They're awesome. Absolutely. Amen. All right. Let's go through these final 10 questions. We can see amazing. how the journalist loves answering the questions. Number no one, what is your favorite word? My favorite word is defenestration. It is the adjective of throwing someone or something out of a window. To use it in a sentence, I will defenestrate that. Why do you know that word? Because <laughs> when I was a child, I looked up biggest words in the dictionary, and that was the one that I remembered. I just wanted to be a cool kid who knew big words, and that's what we came up with. Was that after you yourself had fallen out of a window? No, actually. I don't okay, think I was going to say, I can see, I, I have this imagination of how it worked out. Like you fell through a window because you seem to fall off a lot of things. And then you worked out, what's the longest word to describe falling out the window? Defenestrated. Okay. You, you, um, you click on to people very quickly. You really understand me, hey? <laughs> I, I have to keep getting, I'm trying to get the image of you falling off that bench out of my head because I'm just, if I start laughing in your face at any given moment, it's not because of what you said is funny. It's because that video clip is playing on, it's been playing on loop since last night when I watched it. I can't get it out of my head. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, I didn't, I, I knew that people would see it. The best music video I... clip I've ever seen. <laughs> I need to play Benny Hill music to it and then add funny sound effects and then, you know, put slow motion and then reverse. Anyway, um, let, let's get on to not, not my strange fetishes. Let's get on to number two. Um, what is your least favorite word? Negative. Does that make sense? Yep. <laughs> I think that, yeah. I don't like negative things. Don't like negative people. So negative. Yep. That makes sense. Uh, number three in life, what gets you excited? What turns you on? Um, oh, oh, goodness. Opportunities, I think. New stuff. I, I'm a person who is very comfortable outside of their comfort zone. Um, I, 
try not to box myself in. So I think what gets me really excited is something I haven't tried before. Um, yeah. And there's plenty of that. So absolutely new opportunities. Okay. So that was what turns you on. Number four is what turns you off. I'm, oh, goodness. Um, oh, littering. <laughs> littering and people who litter. <laughs> I'm trying to Can answer these like rapid fire. Do you chase after people yelling at them if they litter? Someone has thrown out rubbish out of my car window before and I've pulled over and make them walk back to get it. And they're like, are you serious? I'm like, yes, I'm serious. Learn a lesson. Go, go uh, get your rubbish. To be fair, like I, I, I would never do that. I mean, I would never throw, I never litter. I, I just don't understand people who do. It's like, that's garbage. It doesn't belong mm. on the floor. It belongs in a bin. So to be fair, I, I don't understand people who litter. I don't think it's okay at all. Someone yeah, else is going to have to pick it up. Uh, number yeah, five, what sound or noise do you love? Probably the one right around me. I have a old Queenslander home. I'm not sure if you know what they look like, but if yeah. and, and for anyone international, if you look up Queenslander home, it is a distinct style because Queensland floods a lot, so they have to raise the houses a bit higher but I have a tin roof. It's raining a little bit at the moment, so I can hear the rain on the roof, the wind rustling through the rainforest behind me, all the native birds singing their, singing their carols. It's the perfect noise. What about what sound or noise do you hate? Traffic, beeping horns. You ever been to New York? Yes, I have, actually. In New York, <laughs> they, um, they, they beep their horn differently. You know, most people, I like to say beep, beep, beep. New Yorkers do it differently. They just go beep. That's what yeah, I noticed. I think that is deeply unpleasant. It's quite unsettling as well because I, you know, you associate that noise with traffic and car crashes and stuff. So you hear it and yeah. it's going on all around you. And I just think, no, yeah, not for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number seven, if you could have any one superpower, what would you pick and why? Oh, I would pick talking to animals and I'd love to give you a really, really in-depth intellectual and educational answer. Like, It'd you know, just could, be cool. It, well, yeah. I'd like to ask narwhals why they have their horns. That's the main reason. <laughs> We've no, like Narwhals were first discovered in like the 1700s, uh, 1700s, sorry, and yet to this day, Scientists cannot come up with a confirmed reason as to why they have those horns. There, there is like theories, but no one's ever come up with it. So I'd just like to have a little chat with them. Say, hey guys, what's going on? What's, what's that for? I somehow think their answer would be, I don't know. Why do you have that nose? Like, I, I don't know that they would know why they have a horn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean Look, probably. <laughs> I just... I'll, I'll, if I ever get that superpower, I'll give you a call and let you know what they say because yeah. it's currently a mystery. Uh, number eight, what job other than your own would you most like to attempt? Um, environmental journalist or rock star. Either or both at the same time. That would be cool. Well, if you do become a rock star, it's very easy then to advocate for stuff because everyone's following you. So, yeah, those those two could go together very well. Uh, what about, yeah, number nine, what job would you definitely not like to attempt? Um, hmm, that is a very good question. 
I think being, oh, it that's a bit of a um, I've got a bit of like a double answer there because I think politician okay. would be one of the most difficult, stressful, and manipulative jobs in the world. I think that it's it would be very hard to stay true to yourself and your own beliefs when every other belief in the you know governing system is being thrown at you on the daily basis because that is your job. Mm. But it is also a job that provides an opportunity to really, really, you know, get in deep and under the roots of the governing systems and our economy and yeah. make a difference and, you know, almost insert your passions into how the country operates. So obviously it would be a greatly rewarding job and a very like opportunistic position. But mm. I think that the stress and the, yeah, this the stress management would be it's a job on its own, I believe. So probably yeah. politician. I'm not sure if I'm okay. cut out for it. So kudos to them. I mean, that'd be difficult and stressful, but yeah, I, I couldn't handle it. Final question: If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Um, probably that. All my childhood pets are up there waiting for me. I think that that's, you know, every everyone likes to believe that, you know, if you have like a childhood dog or something, they go up to puppy heaven and you might see them one day. I think that if I were to make it up there and have a little chat with the old man, that'd be a nice thing to hear that the, the people wait. Oh, not just pets as well, people. And my family and loved ones are there, I think. Anyone yeah. that I'm, I may miss and haven't had the chance to talk to, the opportunity to be with them again, I think. Very nice. Good question. Well, Jessica, that is it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Yeah. And um, when when is your yin and jin again, just for the people watching? 12th of August. It's at the Dewporth Tavern. I'll be posting some more information to my social media over the next week. Okay. And you can see uh, Jessica's social. If you're watching the video, it's scrolling underneath or it's in the uh, description to this video. Okay. Well, Jessica, I'll keep you on the line for just a sec whilst I hang up with the audience. But thanks to everyone for watching and we'll speak to you next time. Bye for now. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Hey, thanks so much for watching. Sorority Access is now open. So if you'd like to join an amazing group of women and learn how to be the most powerful, confident, and impactful queen possible, head to the pageant sorority.com. I'll see you there and see you in the next video.